This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. Hello, everyone, and thank you so much for joining Watermark's podcast series, Women of the C-Suite, where we have the pleasure of hosting some of the most distinguished female executives anywhere about their journeys and the paths they took to get to the top. I'm Nicole Ward-Parr, and I join you with my co-host, the CEO of Watermark, Peggy Northrup. In this series, we draw out meaningful insights and candid perspectives that will help you to make your mark. Today, I have the pleasure of introducing our guest, Layla Tariff, the Chief People Officer of Allbirds. Layla Tariff is a senior human resource executive with over 25 years of professional experience. After graduating with her MBA from the Haas School of Business at the University of California at Berkeley, she became one of the founding team members at Walmart.com. She then served as Chief People Officer at Pete's Coffee and Tea, an iconic Bay Area premium coffee company. Currently, Layla is the Chief People Officer at Allbirds, focused on leading through a global pandemic and broad social unrest. She is also a trusted advisor to entrepreneurs and investors and is a regular guest lecturer at Berkeley Law School. Layla, welcome. Layla, it is so nice to have you with us today. I'm so excited to talk to you and talk about your fabulous book. Um, But I wanted to start with the question that we always ask our podcast guests, which is that some people, you know, start off life with a very, very clear sense of what they want to do. They, you know, they seem to come out of the womb with an idea that they want to be a doctor. And many of us go the opposite way, where it's much more of an accidental leadership journey. What has yours been like? Did you have twists and turns or did you have a very clear sense of what you wanted to do? That's a great question. Um, I think, you know, when I was young and I tried, I was trying to tap into what I wanted to do. The one thing that kept on coming up for me is I want to help people. And then I thought, is that a thing? Like what, what, it, what I didn't know how to translate that into an occupation. And, um, you know, my parents were immigrants, neither one of them went to college. So I kind of was stuck with this question um, on my own. And um, I fell into recruiting and then I went to business school. And uh, when I came out, I thought I was going to be a business person, but I was a really good recruiter. And so I ended up going to the first internet division of Walmart. And my CEO at the time, um, who was a woman, said to me after a year, look, you're doing this HR job. Why don't you take it? And at first I was like, ooh, HR, that's not me. Those aren't business people. Those like like, like when you go to the principal's office. (laughs) And thank goodness she saw something in me and I took the role. But it definitely my my I did. I definitely had twists and turns and backs. And and now in hindsight, I can look back and see how I learned something in each of those positions and roles that actually benefit me today. Yeah. And so it was helping people in a, in a sense. I mean, if you're a recruiter, you're connecting people and helping people. So you were fulfilling that childhood desire, but it is interesting. It seems to make more sense looking backwards rather than looking forwards. Certainly that's true for me. 
It kind of is that way, right? Because now I'm in business, I got my MBA, but I'm the closest to a helping profession as you possibly can be. And I just kind of went this way. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Came in the other door. Well, how has leadership and your idea of leadership evolved and changed for you over over the course of your career? I mean, you've had lots of different kinds of roles and different influences on people. But I know from reading your book that your ideas of how you were supposed to show up at work have really changed a lot. Yeah. I I think my idea... My idea of leadership has changed in that I've let go of the ideas I had. <laughs> um, I think, you know, I graduated um, in the late 80s um, undergrad and then in the mid 90s business school. And, you know, back then it was very much, you know, you have to put on this face and this persona and you went to work and you, um, you know, you were largely around men. And so it wasn't like anyone said you have to be like a man, but you just looked around you and you saw how people acted and you kind of, you, you, you acted in the same way. I acted in the same way. And I realized along my journey um, that I was leaving very important parts of me <laughs> behind and that I actually had more qualities that I could lean into uh, to be a more effective leader and be more authentic too. And so now I think there's never been a time like today in our lifetimes where you have more permission to really come to work as who you really are and bring your whole self to work. I mean, I remember when that came out about 15 years ago, and now it's really true given everything that's going on around us. Yeah, the the things the things that we have seen in this past year demand different things of us as leaders, and it's a transition for a lot. Of, I mean, it's been a transition for me um, to show how vulnerable I am, and I'm sure that you've gone through um, through similar transformations and just needing to be a different person for your teams. I would say if I was not able to be vulnerable in this last year, I couldn't have done the job. I Because we really, all of us were going through a period of loss, right? Mm-hmm. And we were grieving. Uh, I, I even brought in someone to talk about grief in the workplace. Because we had lost an employee, We unfortunately, one of our employees um, had an accident. But in the midst of all the other loss And I think about who I was 10 years ago, I would never have had the courage to do that, to actually hold a session and have training on what it means to grieve in a healthy way. Wow. I think that's really brave. And I think it it just underlines what we've already talked about, which is that need um, and real requirement of leaders to be brave, to be authentic, to be vulnerable, to create a space uh, for others on our teams uh, to, to do that same thing, right? And so kind of pivots into my next question, which is around, you know, what have you learned the hard way? Um, I don't know if you could expand on that a little bit. I'd love to hear. I think what I've learned the hard way is um, that you can't just show one side of yourself. You can't, like for me, I was much more comfortable being super capable and strong and focusing on the problem to be solved. And I was really good at it. Right. And so, you know, you get to a certain point in your career and you think it's because of all the, of the way you've shown up and you don't realize that sometimes it's despite some of the ways that you've shown up. 
And so um, I think for me, what I learned along the way, and part of it is what I write in my book, because I experienced a period of tremendous loss, that I had to allow myself to, um, to, to, to feel, uh, to show more of who I was, my less than perfect side. And, um, and I was terrified to do that because I thought I would lose my agency. I thought I'd lose my edge and what made me powerful. And actually what I realized was that it was just a different type of strength. And again, I go to this last year, um, no way could you as a leader have mailed in this last year, emotionally speaking, like uh, employees would have picked up on that straight away and you just wouldn't have been effective. They wouldn't have listened. Right. Well, and I think it, it, it harkens to a, um, a quote that I heard recently, which is it's less about achieving the goal and more about the transition and transformation that happens to us in the pursuit of that goal. Right. Um, and, and so I'd love to hear how you have made significant pivots along the way where you've had to make those adjustments that you just referenced, you know, either in professional life or personal life. It's it's. The, the CEO was just talking about my first CEO at walmart.com. Her name was Jean Jackson. And um, she, she got to that um, position sort of in the generation um, above us. And so she got there like being really tough. And she taught me a really important lesson. There was a meeting very early in my time there. Um, and I was just at my first year as a VP and we were in a meeting and I was like slouching and like, oh, my God, people, let's go. And she called me in her office afterwards and she said, um, you know what, that was really disrespectful. And I'm like, wow, well, what did I do? And she said, the importance of those meeting is not getting things done. It's bringing people along. Exactly what you just said. I'm like, what? I really thought that it was about just myself like, you know, achieving goals and, and, and killing it. And I didn't even realize that as you get more senior in your career and you lead others, it's not about you. It's about them. It's about enabling and supporting and, 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 and mentoring others. Uh, and that's the journey, right? From being an individual contributor and all the, all those wonderful qualities that you lean into to drive results, you got to let go of so that you can enable others because it's no longer about you. So you're talking about the things that you learned earlier in your career and the way your leadership style has changed. Is there anything else that you wish you'd kind of known earlier? Or do you think that it's just you have to do it in order to learn it? That's a great question. I mean, maybe there are other people who are a little bit faster <laughs> to pick up on things than myself. I think the best lessons are the ones that you experience, that you kind of step in it a little bit and you don't have the result that you were hoping for. And that is what makes you pause and self-reflect and say, hmm, how come I'm not getting the result that, you know, either I've gotten before or I thought I was going to get? And I think for me, I didn't have... I didn't have any huge career missteps. I really, um, I, I really did okay as I as I grew into into bigger roles. Um, in hindsight, I realize that um, I didn't make the space for the really hard conversations. Um, 
And I didn't know it because no one was going to tell me that. They just didn't come to me, right? I realize it in hindsight. And I remember talking to a good friend and asking her because she worked with me in two companies over the last 15 years. And I said, hey, I said, did I used to be a bitch? And she goes, I don't know if we can say that. She said, uh, she goes, no, she said, no, I would never say that. She said, but I would never come to you with a really challenging problem because I could never see the conversation going my way. And um, because I was so focused on solving the problem, you're just not seeing it the right way. Um, And I wasn't making space for her to share, like, I'm struggling. I don't know what to do about this. And just being there in that moment and saying, yeah, this is a tough one and allowing myself to be vulnerable in that space with her. And then maybe we can go to solving the problems. I was so like lightning fast to solve the problem that I think I missed a lot of opportunities to have more meaningful connections, which in the end is what is the basis for trust, which is actually how you drive results right together as a team. Yeah. That's so great. That's so great. And it's true that there's that sense of as an individual, you want to be the person who's quick off the mark and has the answers. And what gets you there doesn't keep you going and doesn't drive the results that you really want or drive the joy in your life. I mean, I like you, I mean, um, all of us have had made very meaningful connections at work. And it's hard when you define yourself that way, and that's your community to realize that maybe those connections are not quite as meaningful as I was hoping they would be. Right. Well, you know, the book Marshall Goldsmith, he wrote, what got you here won't get you there. He's, he's like the original coach. He, he came to Haas after I graduated, he did this workshop that I actually attended and he's, he, he's, he's got kind of this impish quality about him. And, and he said, okay, everybody stand up. He said, I want you to stand up and breathe. And he said, oh, look at you, all these MBAs. You're just dying to add value. He said, (laughs) the next time you're, he says, the next time you're compelled to say something, I want you to do one thing. Ask yourself, will my saying this increase their level of commitment? And if it doesn't, don't say it. Wow. And we all just went, whoa, because we realize that if it doesn't increase their level of commitment, it's really not for them. It's for you. It's for your like, look how great I am. Look how much I know. And it was just such a powerful way to hear that message. I always think about that. Yeah, that's That's brilliant. brilliant. That's brilliant, right? What motivates us and what is our intention behind the words and and, and the things that we say, right? And how that bakes into our, our, our objectives. I think that's brilliant. But switching gears just a little bit, I'd love to know what are some of the things that are exciting to you right now? What are the things that are inspiring you? Gosh, I think one of the things that's most exciting and a little scary, to be honest, is um, the change that we're seeing around us, right? The cultural norms that are shifting. I think for women, it's really exciting, right? Post Me Too and the courage that, that women and girls um, uh, are showing and telling their stories, right? From, from the gymnast to the newsroom, it is amazing. And in telling our stories, we are breaking apart centuries, right? Of, of 
of being locked up and shamed and uh, having our power taken away from us. And that to me is an unbelievably exciting. And it's a little scary too, because the rules are changing so much now and how we talk and how things are taken. It's super high stakes, right? And uh, it just makes me so much more aware of making sure that we are as intentional uh, and grounded as we can be when we do share our stories and when we come together. Yeah, such a great point. Such a great point. You're right. I mean, we're witnessing and partaking in and being affected by this huge cultural shift. And it's exciting, but it's also when all the rules are changing, you really have to, you're falling back on things that we don't have this. We don't have these skills. We haven't had these conversations. We aren't, we don't have the practice in having these conversations. So it's such an important time. Well, you know, you mentioned something in there about, you know, the power that you have and the superpower, this, this idea of having a superpower is very interesting. So do you feel like you have a superpower? Has your superpower changed over time? Tell me a little bit about that. Just in terms of maybe something that you do easily that other people don't do easily. I think, um, my superpower is um, I'm so wired to just jump in and get things done. You know, again, that my, my original narrative is um, you can do it. You're super capable. You know, you can't rely on anyone else. So you got to get in there. And so in a way, that is uh, th- that's a narrative that gives me a lot of agency. I don't often see the issues or the obstacles. Um, I don't even allow myself to um, to acknowledge that I'm feeling a little bit of trepidation. I do feel it, but I spent so many years pushing it down that I just jump in. And then when I'm in the middle of it and I'm a little lost, um, I'm able to just keep going. And it's not pretty. <laughs> it's not pretty. I'll tell you that. <laughs> but I get through it. And I think by having done that over and over and over again, I've just built up um, a certain level of perseverance and and resilience, not elegance, unfortunately. (laughs) Um, But I think that's my superpower. I just don't give up. Um, and, um, and, And like I said, I think it's helped me a lot. It's hurt me by keeping me in that old narrative for longer than I should have been for a long time. Um, but I was finally able to work through that as well. Right. It's like, I used to say that I didn't want to do something unless it gave me butterflies in my stomach because it's like, oh, I'm a little scared. So that's good. Cause I know there's energy there and that's an energy that I like. Cause I like to keep myself on that, on that edge. But then you wonder, wow, I'm so tired. <laughs> I get to be so exhausted. So there's definitely learning that about yourself and how far can you push your superpower? What's your what's your kryptonite? If super if that's your superpower, then what's your kryptonite? You're not allowed to say chocolate. <laughs> <laughs> and kryptonite is a thing that weakens you. Yes. Um, that makes your superpower go away. I think um, by um, allowing myself to pause 
and self-reflect. Like the only way I can um, stay with my superpower is by just staying on overdrive. Yeah. And and it's exhausting. Yeah. Right. And so if I allow myself to just pause and that and, and I have to do that. Um, I bought the Calm app and I love it. It's my oh, new favorite nice. thing. I, I use all it. of them. It. It's fantastic. And that really helps me just to go within, to refocus on my breathing, to ground myself. Otherwise, I just spin out like a top. And um, it's yeah. just not it's just not the way to be. So tell us, I mean, you've done so much. It sounds like personally, your journey has been exceptional. Your book obviously coming out, which we want to give you a chance to chat about. But is there another sort of mountain that, that you see for yourself, some other, you know, goal or objective, some other, you know, mountain to climb, conquer, et cetera? I mean, what's next for you? I think the thing that has me excited and a little bit scared, so I know it's right, is um, really transitioning out of um, out of a full-time operating role and really moving into being an author and an advisor full-time. Because right now I'm sort of double teaming it and I have my first book coming out in April, but I'm already thinking about my second book and starting to uh, write out the outline and letting go Right. I'm a single mom. I've got a teenager and, um, you know, we live in California, so we know it's it's expensive and letting go of um, um, a sure thing. That's scary. And, and not just financially, but also um, my identity reputa- reputationally. Um, who would I be? Right. If I wasn't you know, the chief people officer of all birds or, 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 or Pete's or whomever. And I think, um, I think that's the next, the next big thing for me, but I have to say, even in the last couple of years, I'm more excited than scared. There's something when a change wants to happen, it energetically, I think it just continues. At least it's the way it works for me is I can ignore it for a little while. And then that voice just gets louder and louder and louder. And now it's like yelling and I'm like, I got it. I'm almost there. (laughs) And so I, uh, there's, there's no going back now. Yeah. You know, I want to pull on a thread that you mentioned there in a follow-up question around that, because I think so much of our identities as women, uh, can be what we do. Uh, and what you're talking about is a, a, not leaving, but making a pivot from a very successful career in the C-suite to being an author, uh, consulting, right? All the things that might come with that. That, you know, that could sound, it sounds daunting, right? How do you reconcile from an identity standpoint? How, how do you deal with that, you know, and, 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 and adjusting like who you are and how you see yourself? I think it's an energetic thing. I think intellectually, I will always be a little bit afraid of letting go of what I have and what I've built almost feels a little irresponsible. Um, But energetically, I don't have as much. um, I just don't get juiced. I'm not as excited about the work um, that I have been doing. And I just know that it's coming to its natural end. Do you know the parable of the trapeze? It's the it, it's it's a way that um, we talk about transformational change. You know, when you get on a trapeze and you first get on, you're swinging and it's great and it's kind of scary and you don't want to fall off. And then it just sort of slows down, but it's still sort of pretty fun. And then you stop and then you're hanging there and your arms start hurting. And the only way 
is to let go, but you have to fall into nothing, right? Into, into not knowing to get to the other uh, trapeze. And I, to me, that's how it feels to me. It's like the trapeze is slowing. And I know that this part of my life wants to come to an end. And I'm trying to honor that and to listen to it and to be brave and face this fear of the unknown in front of me. But that, and just know that's the nature of transitions. You always have to let go of the shore and, and to get to, to get to the other side. I mean, all those, all those cliches, all those parables, they're all true. Yeah. Right. Well, I think it's, it's just inspiring for, I think a lot of the women that, and and audience uh, attendees that will hear this, um, that you're actually doing it. Um, I think that's tremendous. And, you know, I have a, um, I have a, um, a question that my great-grandmother um, from a, a, a saying my great-grandmother used to have, uh, which you'll have to forgive me, it's a bit crass. It's poop makes great fertilizer. Uh, <laughs> and, and, and ultimately great gardens can grow from that, right? So I'd love to hear from you. And especially after having the privilege of reading your book a little bit early, um, we'd love to hear you share um, with, with our listeners a little bit about um, some of what, what has been your poop. <laughs> My poop. I had a lot of poop. I had about uh, four or five years where it was very poopy. Um, so my story, as as you know, um, I um, went in, in my first year as the um, as the as the head of HR for Pete's. My husband passed away when my daughter was three, very suddenly, very tragically. Um, and then my and then my father had a stroke in his late 60s and passed and then my mother. And so it was a period of time of, of a lot of loss. And I hadn't lost anybody in my life until then and and really hadn't had anything really bad happen to me. So here I was, a young mother by myself, and my entire support system just fell apart around me. And um, I think, you know, the... It was a moment in my life that I could not continue to lean into the ways I was showing up and I had always dealt with things my whole life, which is to reframe to the positive and it's going to be okay and just you could tough it out and just keep going, keep going. And in a way, I think the universe was like, okay, she's tough, so we need to really bring her to her knees. I mean, it's a little bit of dark humor, but I just think nothing less than those three big losses would have had me pause and recognize I could not tough it out because I would have tried, trust me. And what really did it for me was my daughter who was, you know, a child and um, grieving the loss of her dad and, and me feeling so inadequate and so unable to be there with her emotionally because I never allowed myself to, to, to grieve so openly like that. And that was the pivot for me. That was the, the moment where I thought I cannot abandon her. I need to learn how to be in the muck, be in the poop and learn and, and I literally, it was like breaking myself open. And, and, and then that it all came out, everything that I had not allowed myself to feel for the previous 40 years, it was not, a, it was not a good time, but it's a time I'm so grateful for because I think um, I absolutely could not have led 
during this last year had I not experienced that. And it really thawed me. It really, it really made me um, become much more of a whole person um, and not be as afraid to be with my less than perfect self and show any sort of, um, you know, vulnerability or, or lack of, you know, whatever I wanted people to see. So that was, that was my big learning. And, you know, we all have it. It doesn't have, it doesn't have to be a death. I mean, I know that's very traumatic, but it could be anything. It could be an illness. It could be, you know, some people don't need to have that sort of big life crisis. I hope most don't, but for me, that's what it took. You have written such a beautiful book and it's, I mean, it, beautifully written. And as a person who just gobbles books for breakfast, lunch, and dinner, I love to savor the sentences and you have so many, uh, it's, it's beautifully written and it's just so true and authentic. Um, and there are so many lessons in it. I found lessons for me. I know that our listeners would find lessons for them. And I think for all of us who are struggling to redefine leadership, there's so much in there to, to ponder and to consider and to think about and how it plays out in our own life. So I'm really, really so grateful that you have written this book and are, are sharing your story with, with us. Um, I wanted to just, you mentioned a little bit about how you're grateful for this period. And I wanted to ask you about gratitude and how gratitude functions in your life now. Are there other things that you are grateful for? I'm a big believer in, in uh, practicing gratitude. And um, I, I, I've always had this equation up on my whiteboard in my, in my offices when I used to have an office, which is happiness equals reality minus expectations. <laughs> and you can't yes, control reality, absolutely. you can manage your expectations, so be grateful. And I think now after this last year, honestly, I'm just grateful that I'm looking up and seeing a blue sky and it's not orange. I'm grateful I have clean air. I'm grateful I live in, you know, such a beautiful part of the world. I'm grateful that my teenage daughter still loves me and wants to talk to me and doesn't eye roll at me. I'm right. I'm grateful for the things I didn't even know that I should be grateful for before, right? There's, we, we, we have so much goodness. Like it, it's not until we have so much taken away, I think that we realize how good things really are. And I'm trying to hold on to, um, uh, I'm trying to remember how much we have gone through this last year and how grateful I should be for, for you know, just the infrastructure uh, the fact that, right, we're, we're at peace here and that there's love and I have friends. Um, so that it's really just, it's, it's the little stuff, which makes it the big stuff. That's wonderful. Yeah. Beautiful I think that has definitely focused us all this past year on, you know, because you don't get the big stuff, the big stuff that I'm always grateful for, like getting on an airplane and traveling to a new country yeah. and, you know, all the theater and like, well, we don't have that this year. So you better enjoy, enjoy the experiences that we are having. I love your phrase is that happiness equals reality minus reality. expectations. I'm writing that. <laughs> for 
<laughs> no, it's not mine, but I use it all the time. Well, Layla, and if you would do us the honor of closing us out and just the name, the title of your book, of course, sharing that with our listeners um, and um, a quick summary. Um, and we'd love to hear that. Just give you a chance to do a plug if you would. Oh, yeah. Here. In fact, I have one right here. I'll show it. So the yeah. book is called Strong Like Water, How I Found the Courage to Lead with Love in Business and in Life. It comes out April 13th. When I first started writing, I, I, um, I thought I would write a leadership book, but I felt that I had to tell my story. And um, I, I know that, you know, a memoir from someone, you know, that isn't Michelle Obama isn't like a big commercial um, enterprise. But for me, um, the actual telling of my personal story is actually what has helped me be a better leader. So I couldn't have done it the other way. Um, and even in writing the story, it continued to be uh, a very healing process uh, because I was I had to make sense of of um, what I was writing from a reader's perspective. And there were so many times where I'm like, wait, why did I think that that didn't make sense? And, and again, I would just sort of peel another layer and another layer. Well, it is fantastic that you took the time to speak with us today and to, to share your story with us. And I know I'm certainly grateful, Peggy, I'm sure you are as well. Um, and thank you. Thank you for being here. Thank you for making the time. Oh. So inspiring. Thank you for sharing. It's your been story. great. It's really wonderful. Thank you. It's been great spending the hour with you ladies. Thank you all so much for joining us today. I'm Peggy Northrup, CEO of Watermark, and along with my co-host, Nicole Ward-Parr, I invite you to check out all of our upcoming programs at wearewatermark.org. With best-in-class leadership training and inspirational fireside chats with awesome coaches, entrepreneurs, and women business leaders every single week, we're dedicated to helping you become the leader you're meant to be. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.